So if you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, this morning we are going to be in verse uh, 22 through uh, 36. We're studying the gospel of Jesus after his ascension to the right hand of God. The Spirit of God has been poured out, and the apostles are the Spirit-empowered witness of Jesus Christ to the church, who then, having received the Spirit poured out in them, they continue the gospel witness of Jesus Christ, even until today. That which was poured out at the day of Pentecost has brought witnesses to that resurrection of Jesus Christ, the ascension of Jesus Christ, and it is the gospel witness of Jesus Christ that is alive today through you and I in the church. We find ourselves this morning in chapter 2. Uh, to give us a little recap, Peter, filled with the Spirit and having been given utterance to expound upon the Scripture, he gives a biblical exposition of the events of Pentecost. In the advance of uh, Pentecost, where suddenly from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind filled the house and divided tongues of fire rested on them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak of the mighty works of God in languages that could be understood by the diverse peoples who were drawn by the Spirit uh, to hear those mighty works of God. Peter, given utterance to speak in the power of the Holy Spirit, explains their misunderstandings concerning the events of the day of Pentecost, expounding upon the word of God from the prophet Joel, and he explains that in these last days, God has poured out his spirit on all flesh, telling them that these men are not drunk as you suppose. And today we're going to pick up uh, Peter's sermon in verse 22. Peter will ex continue to expound upon and expose the reality of the pouring out of the spirit. And he's going to use Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 in his explanation. Uh, so first, what we will do, we will pray, then we'll read the passage for consideration, and then we will make some observations and applications as we go. Let us first pray. Father in heaven, you are holy and good and right, and you have sent your King Jesus. Lord, uh, forgive us for the ways in which we've made uh, anything that is not really about the person of Jesus. And Lord, the, the summary, the sum of all that you speak to us through your word is to tell us of the person and work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, Lord. We pray, Lord, this morning that Jesus would be the center in this church and all the churches that would gather in the area. I pray this morning by your grace that you would uh, enlighten our minds, that you would gauge our hearts, that you would move our will according to your spirit to be obedient to what the scriptures teach us this morning. And all of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you are able, would you please stand with me as we read the infallible, inspired word of God from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, 
I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I want to begin by quoting uh, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. He says this, the motto of all true servants of God must be, we preach Christ and him crucified. A sermon without Christ is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. Leave Christ out, oh my brethren. You better leave the pulpit out altogether. If a man can preach one sermon without mentioning Christ's name in it, it ought to be his last. Certainly the last that any Christian ought to go to hear him preach. In our text this morning, we will see Jesus. We will see Jesus, a man born in the course of human history from a real place, Nazareth. A man confirmed as Messiah by eyewitness accounts of the work that God had done through him in accordance with the prophetic word of God, who according to the plan of God was executed for the sins of the people. He ascended to heaven as confirmation that he is both Lord and Christ. It is Jesus with the authority of heaven which has bestowed the gift of the Holy Spirit that you all just witnessed. This is what Peter is proclaiming. He is saying that this Jesus, born a man, affirmed by his works that he is the Son of God, that his death and resurrection that did not make him Messiah, he was Messiah, therefore he died and was resurrected by God. That it is this Jesus... This Jesus who has poured out the spirit that you all just witnessed. He is the giver of this good gift. The first Christian sermon, you see, is all about Jesus. A sermon on any biblical topic is not a Christian sermon if it does not proclaim Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Let us look at verse 22 and see the address here. Men of Israel, hear these words. So the address of the first Christian sermon was at first a call 
to those. Remember, as last week we saw, it was a call to all who were present, people from every stripe, every nation, every color, every creed, every, every part of the known world then was there. Now Peter gets a little more specific. Here he says, men of Israel, hear these words. The first Christian sermon was now, more pointedly, Peter addressing the people who had claimed to be God's people. Those who were entrusted with the oracles of God to the Israelites, those to whom belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises, people who call themselves his. This is what he says. People, if you call yourselves by my name, listen, listen. And I think every Christian sermon in the church today is, you know, we have all these seeker-friendly ideas, but the church, the, the, the Christian sermon, the, the one in which the pastor comes up, he is talking to the people of God. He is speaking to Christians first and, and foremost. That which he calls Christians to do should cut the non-Christians to the heart. That if those who are saved by grace are called to many, many, many things by God himself, to holiness, to purity, to righteousness, if those who are called by his name are called to those things, how much more those who sit there and do not know the Lord Jesus. So primarily, the message from the Christian pulpit is to Christians. And primarily, this message, the gospel, see, it is the power of God to everyone, isn't it? To everyone who believes. But Peter here, to the Jew first, to the Jew first, the gospel is preached. On the Lord's day, the preacher of God's word desires that believers and unbelievers alike would be attentive to hear what the spirit utters through the preaching of God's word. For sure, right? But the primary audience for the Christian message is those who are called by the name of Christ. It is to Christians that the word of God is aimed. And it is aimed at bringing about obedience of the faith. It is the Christian to whom the word of God calls us to imitate Christ. The call to imitate Christ is for Christians. And if judgment begins with the household of God, if it begins with us, then what will become of those who do not obey the gospel? So here is Peter speaking to his brothers, to Israel. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that he did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Abruptly here, Peter proclaims Jesus. He says, he is a man sent from God. A man who you yourselves testified concerning the miracles and the healings that he performed while he was among God's people. This Jesus, a man from Nazareth, in full humanity, in flesh and blood, he lived among you and you yourselves witnessed the mighty works of God through him. Even Jesus said as he was proclaiming these truths while he was on the planet earth with his feet, he said, either believe my words concerning God and his sent son or believe the works themselves. The works themselves proved that he was the son of God, but he was indeed the son of God nonetheless, right? He was the son of God. So this Jesus, whom you know, this fully human Jesus, he came and he did these works. This Jesus, 
delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, this man born to men, for men, by the sovereign will of God, by God's plan, this Jesus was delivered to be crushed and humiliated and killed. Now, here's this two things going on at the same time, right? The sovereign will of God and, quote-unquote, the free will of man. Because in this passage, he doesn't let them off hook. He says, you crucified by the hands of lawless men. He holds them accountable and responsible, even though he says that it was in the definite plan of God for Jesus to be crushed, to be delivered over. He says, you, acting freely, though bound in the will by sin, you freely and willingly had him killed by the hands of the lawless Romans. Doesn't let them off the hook. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This Jesus... God raised from the dead. The cords of death were unable to hold this Jesus sent by God. This Jesus was fully human and fully, obviously, much, much more. Much, much more. In these three verses, one sees what every Christian sermon must have in it, I believe. To be called a Christian message, it must have in its message this, that God is the holy, sovereign, creator, judge, who rightly and perfectly does whatever he pleases, and it is good. That man is exceedingly sinful and is in bondage to sin such that he cannot please God. And that Jesus of Nazareth was sent into the world, fully human, and for the sins of God's people he was killed. And that he who was without sin could not be held by it. That death could not hold him and that God raised him from the dead. Jesus, a man from Nazareth, fully human, raised from the dead because he was much, much more. And now we see Peter using the psalmist's testimony. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So Luke using, recording what Peter quoted from Psalm 16, 8 through 11. This Psalm of David is certainly the prayer of a godly man who declares that because the Lord is beside him, as it were, as the Lord is his right-hand man, as he would say, King David has confident joy that he will not be abandoned, nor will he see corruption. Quoting David C. here was a point of common ground between Peter and his Jewish audience because it was commonly held that this Psalm was a Psalm concerning the Messiah. Even they knew that this was a psalm that was, yes, at once a psalm concerning King David, but that it was a prophetic word 
spoken forth about the coming king, Jesus. It was commonly held that this psalm was a psalm concerning the Messiah. The one who is called the Holy One in Peter's argument is none other than the Messiah. For this is what David says concerning him, he says, the Messiah is at the right hand of God on the throne. His flesh dwells in hope for this day. He rejoices because the Messiah will come from him. He who has come before him will come from him. It is because he is in the presence of God that David will be made full of gladness when he too is in the presence of Yahweh and his Messiah. Peter's argument is this Jesus, the man from Nazareth about whom David says these things, though David was a king, and the Psalms had a personal, prayerful sentiment, Israel commonly saw the psalmist David as a prophet who was telling forth the word of God concerning the king who would rule forever, the coming one, the Messiah. The psalm, as well as others, came from the prophet and king, speaking of the prophet and king to come, the forever king. Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4 says this, You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Verse 35 of the same psalm, Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. The psalmist David, the apostle Peter, the prophet Samuel all have in mind one person from this psalm when they speak forth the word of God from Psalm 16. They have one in mind. They have only one in mind. And it is this Jesus. It is this Jesus from Nazareth. He is declaring here in this, this uh, passage, Peter is proclaiming, yes, he is Jesus of Nazareth, but he is a man born to us. But yes, he is much, much more. This is Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus is, was, was fully human, but Jesus is the sent one. Jesus is the one who would atone for sin. Jesus is the savior of the world. This is this Jesus. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, it reads this, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall therefore be established forever. Jesus himself has established, hasn't he? As, as we looked at the gospel of John and we looked through the gospel accounts, we have seen that, that Jesus establishes that the whole of the scripture has but one person in mind. The whole of Scripture has one object and subject, and that is the person of Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection for sin. That is the point. He established that it has one topic, one subject, and it is all about Jesus. Jesus speaking to the disciples after His resurrection in Luke chapter 24. 
He records this. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture, and he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus is the Messiah. He is a man, fully human, fully God, born to us. But he is more than just this man who historically we know that Jesus existed. Yes, we know from history that Jesus was a man born of Nazareth in a real time, at a real place, amongst real people. But he is much more than just that. He is Messiah. He is the sent one. He is the Christ. And his death and God raising him up from the dead is proof of that truth. He didn't become Messiah. He didn't become the Christ because he died and rose again. He died and rose again because he is the Christ. This is the proof of the truth. So, moving on, Peter again begins to expound on what he just told them from the psalm. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn to him an oath, uh, an oath to him that he would set on his, uh, his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, and that he did not see corruption. It is this Jesus that God raised up. Peter confidently asserts this, that since King David is indeed dead and buried, and we all know this, David was speaking prophetically concerning the psalmist, uh, concerning the Messiah in the psalm. He was speaking directly about his resurrection, that Jesus, the Messiah, is indeed alive, that the Lord lives, that the Messiah uh, is alive, that Jesus is alive, that the cords of death could not hold him, that he was not abandoned by God. The Messiah was raised incorruptible. This is what the psalmist foresaw as he proclaimed Psalm 16. Luke, echoing the same language used in Luke 24, 48, um, as Peter records here in verse uh, 32, this Jesus God raised up, of that we are all witnesses. Of that we are all witnesses. The Messiah, the prophet David spoke of, is this Jesus. Peter says, I am confident, and you can be confident, that Jesus is the Messiah, that death could not hold him. This Jesus God raised up. This Jesus is the Messiah forecasted by David as the Holy One of God who did not see corruption, but he is indeed alive. You yourselves have witnessed the truth of this reality. Peter says in his epistle, which he announced, which was announced long ago, he finds its present reality of what was announced long ago and what is being announced to, to us right here, right now in 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12, it says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours 
searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that we have have now been announced to you through whose through, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. These are things which angels long to look into. Not only was Jesus fully human, born in real time in history, not only is Jesus the Messiah, we're going to see that he is, once again, much, much more. Much, much more. Verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this, you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not send into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What you witnessed, he says, what you witnessed, the mighty rushing wind, the divided tongues of fire, the hearing of the mighty works of God. Is this Jesus Messiah raised by God, ascended to the right hand of God? It is this Jesus, having received gifts, has given the good gift of the Holy Spirit poured out for you, which you all witness. What he's telling him them here is what you are seeing and hearing, what you are seeing and hearing is Jesus pouring out gifts to you, this gift of the Holy Spirit. See, the explanation of what God is doing in the world is he's doing it through Jesus. It is this Jesus, this Jesus that God raised up, this Jesus that we are witnesses to, this Jesus who we have seen God do mighty works on earth, this Jesus who died for your sin, this Jesus who was raised from the dead, this Jesus who ascended to heaven. It is this Jesus, given the gift and the promise of God, the Holy Spirit, this is what you are witnessing. This pouring out of the Spirit is Him giving that gift to men. This is what you are seeing. It's all about Jesus. You see, so Peter says, we are not drunk as you suppose. The prophetic word of God from David is not about him, but it is about this Jesus, this Jesus that you have witnessed. Peter may be referring to a long-held interpretation of Psalm 68 when he writes in verse 33, having received the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured this out which you are witnessing. Psalm 68, 18 reads this. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. The long-held interpretation of this was this, that having received gifts for the giving to mankind, he received gifts for men. He received gifts from God for mankind. And Paul holds the same interpretation when he quotes this psalm in, in Ephesians 4.8. When he ascended on high, he held a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. 
This is the pouring out of the Spirit, and it should leave no doubt that this Jesus is the Messiah. This Jesus is a man from Nazareth, fully human. He was raised from the dead. This Jesus ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of God, attested to among men, performing the very works of God, the object and subject of the prophetic word of King David. This Jesus is the is the Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Messiah. He is the promised Christ. This Jesus is the giver of the promise of God. This Jesus is the giver of the promise of the Holy Spirit. This Jesus is the Messiah and the gift giver. And Jesus is much, much more. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know that for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This Jesus whom you crucified. See, you may uh, remember the purpose statement from the author of volume one, right? It, this is repeated here in this text. You may know for certain Remember what Luke says as he opens the Gospel of Luke? He says, Inasmuch as I have uh, made an undertaking to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So Peter here says, you can be certain that God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. Peter echoes this aim, saying here, Be certain, my Israelite brothers, that this Jesus, this man of Nazareth, through whom the mighty works of God have been made evident to you, this Jesus, who was foreseen and spoken of by the prophet David, is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is much, much more. God has begotten him in eternity past, both Lord, that is, he is master, and Christ, that is, he is the Son of God who saves. Of this, Peter says, brothers, be of a certainty that this Jesus is both Lord Lord and Christ. Be certain of this, that it was your sin that delivered him over to death according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. I once heard a preacher say as an invitation to Christ, will you make him Lord? We don't make Jesus Lord. God declares him Lord and Christ. We don't make Jesus anything. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Christ, the Savior. You see, we have, we have as, our, as our message, a very simple one, isn't it? One to just leave, drop out, let it do the work. We proclaim Jesus and Him crucified. We proclaim Jesus, a man born in real time. We proclaim Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God that died for sin. That this Jesus God raised up from the dead. That, that death could not hold Him. That this Jesus was indeed God in the flesh. This Jesus has ascended to heaven. This Jesus pours out the gift of the Holy Spirit upon men. This is this Jesus. And we also say this. This is part of the gospel message. Your sin held him on the cross. 
It was your sin that killed him. Your sin did it. My sin did it. When I look upon the cross, does it not, I, you know, watching that movie, The Passion of the Christ, and you see Jesus in this depiction, and I look at it, and I can't help but have the sinking feeling of dread and sorrow and pain, only because I know that it was my sin that did it. It was my sin that held him there. It was my own sin that killed him. And I did it willingly. Because I was captured by that sin. I was enslaved to that sin. And I willingly did it. I can't blame God for making me the way he made me. I willingly put him on the cross. Well, when I heard this preacher say as an invitation to Christ, will you make him Lord? No, we don't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. You see, this is our confession. And we must know this with certainty. We said it this morning, didn't we? As we recited the word made flesh, Jesus Christ is Lord. That is our proclamation of who Jesus is. He is Lord. He is Christ. This is our proclamation to the world. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Christ, the Savior. He is the Son of God. He is God Almighty in the flesh. This Jesus is the Jesus I proclaim to you. Now we ask this question, what are you going to do with that Jesus? What will you do with him? Just leave it there. Your sin, put him on the cross and killed him. God raised him from the dead proving and showing you that He is Lord, that He is the God Almighty. The tomb is empty. Jesus ascended into heaven and Jesus poured out the Spirit upon all men to, to receive this truth. Just leave it there. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Him? Our confession that we said this morning that we must know with this certainty. We said that He is our prophet. He is our prophet that is greater than David. He is our priest and He is our greater King, the one of whom we sang. Is, is there ever been a King like this? There has been a King like this and this King is Jesus. This is this Jesus that we are proclaiming, this greater King than King David. This Jesus is building His church. This Jesus is the church's Messiah. This Jesus is the Savior of the church. That is, you and me who are part of the church. This Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. This Jesus, having received the promise of God, He is the giver of the good gift of the Holy Spirit. This Jesus intercedes for us. This Jesus reigns over all things. This Jesus, who is the Christ, is Lord. Now, if you're not a believer, I want to leave that out, out there for you. Jesus Christ is Lord. Period. What are you going to do with him? What will you do with Jesus? This Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, as we ended that, that confession, we praise his holy name forever. This Jesus, who is Lord. I would say this morning, to those who may not know this Jesus in a saving way, today, I have announced to you that there is but one Savior, and it is the man Jesus. The man Jesus who is the Christ, the Savior of the world. The man Jesus who is the Lord. This Jesus, it is Jesus Christ 
whom pours out the Holy Spirit upon you. And I'm asking that the Spirit would be poured upon you this morning in this Jesus as a gift from Him that you would know with certainty that Jesus Christ is both Christ and that He is the Lord. And that you would also know this with certainty. And I'm going to let this hang. Know this with certainty. That it was your willful rebellion against God that according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, delivered him over to death on a cross. I'm going to leave you with this as Peter leaves off with this. Will you repent and believe?